If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about the fundamentals of gender, stereotypes, experiences, and also language. Mm-hmm. So, basically, first we want to start off with why are we doing this episode? First of all, we personally have been corrected by our listeners many times, and thank you to all of you who have reached out whenever we have misspoken or you know said something uh, without even realizing it, and... We realize that when it comes to other people's experiences, whether it's, you know, gender or their sexual orientation or their culture or their race or, you know, any number of things, that all of us are learning all the time. It's not just like, like the reason why I don't like the term woke is because it implies that you either just get it all or you don't. And it's always... True, you be, huh? Is there a spectrum of woke, though? <laughs> right. Spectrum of the... woke. I'm sure somebody's drawn up something yeah, related pro- to that. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. And probably. But anyway, I don't like that term because it, it implies there's sort of a binary. You either are or aren't mm-hmm. this thing. And I think when it comes to lots of stuff like this, like with gender that we're talking about in this episode, it's something that we're always able to learn about, right? That we're always learning about, always understanding better ways to use our language, better ways to think about and talk about gender. And so we wanted to cover some of those things from some of the basics, also up through, you know, some of the more current things that we've been thinking about or learning about or talking about. Yeah. Would I mean, you say that there's like maybe 50 shades of woke? <sighs> Is it, that's just yeah. yes or no question. Uh, I would say there's more than 50. I said it's a yes or no question, but that's okay. We can move along. <laughs> well, it's hard because as a logician, I would say no. Are you a logician? I, no, but I want to be sometimes. As a logician, <laughs> I would say... logician. <laughs> yes. Yes. There are 50 shades, also more than that. But I didn't want to say yes to your answer because that would imply I agreed that there were only 50. But are you also a genderologist? No. No. Oh, Okay. We're budding Is there such a thing as a genderologist? I doubt it. I mean, maybe someone needs maybe. to make that. So the topic of gender, the topic of gender politics, men and women and how they interact with each other, it's a really big hot button topic right now. Um, even when this episode comes out, I'm pretty sure that it's still going to be a very big thing in our community. I, and I would in, think so. I don't think it's yes. all going to get wrapped up in the next two weeks or so, but that would <laughs> right. be a miracle, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So get up to speed, people. This is an important topic. And also, a person's gendered experience is often used to explain, like, why a person acts a certain way. Um, And all of this can be because of societal conditioning or nurturing or nature or whatever have you. I definitely have people in my life who say to me, like, well, I just do that because, you know, I'm a man and I was taught to do X, Y, and Z. And so I really wanted to examine this as well, just simply because I'm like, well, how did we get there? What 
what does that actually mean? And how can we kind of change that dynamic? Because I think it's important to bust that apart, especially now as like feminism and everything is becoming apparent and better and a bigger deal in our lives today. Yeah, I think that it's especially relevant when people are exploring non-traditional dating or non-traditional relationships in other parts of their lives because I actually find that sometimes it can make people even emphasize gender more rather than less at first because suddenly they're confronted with these expectations of them and now that they're going against some areas of it it like all comes into focus a little bit more interesting so So you think that they like will adhere to those gender norms or those stereotypes even more just uh, simply because i mean more like what you were just saying yeah about uh using sort of gender as a reason for why they're having the experience they're having yeah i mean not just i don't mean that always as a bad thing Mm -hmm. but as you know there's definitely we've talked about it a lot on this episode and a lot of people share this and i think there's a lot of validity to it but of either surprises or frustrations about whether their experience of dating as a non-monogamous person falls into certain gender stereotypes of that being easier for women or harder for men, or if it's the opposite for them, then judging themselves for it and be like, I was told it would be this one way and now it's a different way. Mm -hmm. That kind of people being surprised by things or surprised by what they're jealous about, I feel like can often lead like be some extra challenges along the way that are more related to gender than just non-traditional dating. Yeah. Uh, and I think it kind of brings up a lot of those things. Well, to be fair, I think we've been so socialized to, to associate the way we do dating and relationships with the topic of gender in general, um, mm-hmm. you know, with just how rampant cis heterosexism is in general and the way that mm-hmm. we talk about, marriage or coupling or raising children, you know, that already we're seeing a lot of people trying to break out of that. Um, And then I think just on top of it, it's like when you start to examine the way you're doing relationships, I think like Jay said, it does force you to start to examine almost kind of the way that you do gender to a certain extent, the way that you handle gender, the way you people, the way you handle someone's gender identity, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And later on in this episode, you know, we're going to explore gender bias, um, you know, uh, uh, cisgender privilege, transmisogyny, all of those things. Um, and because of the fact that it's, it's not just, you know, the conversations that we're seeing right now obviously are not just intellectual, logical conversations that are about like, oh, this is so interesting the way that gender is playing out in this particular situation. It's more that like our conversations are usually driven around pain points, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. About stereotypes, about stigma, about biases, about prejudices, things like that. So, you know, as always, an important time to be having this kind of conversation. Yeah, and this is a huge topic. Uh, this conversation today is just going to be scratching the surface of it. Um, it's something, like I said, that we're constantly learning more about ourselves. Um, and that because of that, we are in this episode, we could only speak from our own experiences, right? We can't. Um, you know, we can't know what somebody else's experience is. And so we are going to try to share as much as possible from our own personal experiences in the hopes that that will either resonate for you or maybe help give you some insights into situations in your lives uh, as we as we talk about it. Um, also, y'all listening out there, our audience tends to be pretty smart, critical thinking people, uh, which we love. And 
Some of this might be stuff that you already know, uh, but we hope that either way, this provides something to just to think about and to have this kind of a conversation um, together with us. Yeah. And you can share it with friendos and family people who maybe haven't thought about this or maybe need a refresher course. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> with that, let us start with some basics. Okay. So from Wikipedia, the Can't get encyclopedia more basic of yeah. the world, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, gender is generally conceived as a set of characteristics or traits that are associated with a certain biological sex, male or female. In non-Western countries, gender is not always conceived as binary or strictly linked to biological sex. As a result, in some cultures, there are third, fourth, fifth, or some genders. Interesting. The characteristics that generally define gender are referred to as masculine or feminine. I do However, like the phrase, like, we have some genders. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to tell you how many we have. We have some. Don't worry about it. We have some. Yeah. Probably a better attitude to take, ultimately. Yeah. Right. We don't have to set a number. It's just like, there's some. Just there's some. Might there's be more some. or less than I'm aware of. I know that there are yeah. some, though. No. We're discovering new ones every day. It's really yeah. exciting, exactly. actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that is really cool. So, essentially, to boil that down, gender, as we know it, is a social construct. You know, it's an idea that is created by people to help categorize and explain the world around them. Um, but, of course, remember that just because something is a social construct, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have impact. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are a social construct, like money, for instance, Totally a social construct, so totally something that we've created to kind of help categorize and frame the way we think about the world and transactions, um, uh, but, but still has some impact on people's yeah. real world lives, yeah. of course. That it's still, I would even say, like, it's still very real, mm -hmm. even though it's a social construct. I think sometimes people take that to mean, like you were saying, that it's not real. It's like, right. well, it's, you know, incredibly real because social is what we do as yeah, humans, we've right? made it mm -hmm. very yeah. real. Yeah. 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 So we're going to launch into kind of a list of some basic terms to be familiar with. Um, and I love reviewing this list because I do think what I see happening right now, I think especially in the past two or three years, as specifically transgender rights started becoming more of a household conversation, more and more people started getting exposed to that conversation. Um, I, I think people get very easily confused over what language to use mm. um, in many different arenas. Like, is this your identity? Is this your orientation? Is this your expression? Like, uh, you know, are you cis? Are you straight? Are you, you know, I think there's a lot of terminology that gets bandied around that sometimes people are not 100% up to speed on. So with that, let's right. just kind of launch into some of these basic terms. Yeah. So uh, first one up is gender expression. So gender expression has to do with how we choose to express our gender in public. This is things like our haircut or our clothing or the way that we speak or body characteristics or our behavior. It's the way that we express whatever gender is to us. Now, this is a little bit different from gender identity. Gender identity is our own personal sense of what our gender is, hmm. right? That gender identity is something that you determine for yourself. Gender presentation has to do with how everyone else in the world sees you and understands your gender, right? Um, or at least 
the side of that, that, that they're making decisions about how to call you with pronouns. Cause in our language, you can't really speak about a person without knowing if they fit into male or female or mm-hmm. some other pronoun. Unfortunately, our language is just built that way. Yeah. That you, the, the one piece of information you have to know about someone to speak about them properly, grammatically is their gender. So next is cisgender or cis. Um, which is those whose gender and sex assigned at birth align. So a lot of people, including us, have um, sometimes misconstrued cis with straight, mm-hmm. uh, and that it is not actually what it means. Right. It's, totally different things. Yeah, it's yeah. just that the people who are um, gender and sex are what they were assigned at birth is what they what align with what they still identify with exactly and that i guess is all of us as mm-hmm. well the three of us right um and then transgender or trans is those whose gender and sex assigned to birth do not align mm-hmm. and the important thing to remember with someone who is trans is that that does not necessarily mean that they're going to physically transition from one sex to another um mm-hmm. Not every trans person wants to go through surgery or hormone therapy um, just because a person feels a different gender. That doesn't mean that they necessarily want to change their body. They may still enjoy their own genitalia. Um, But then there's also a lot of people who feel the opposite, who do want to kind of go on that journey of transitioning either hormonally or through surgery. Um, Obviously, with so many things in life, there's this wide spectrum of ways that people do it. Yeah, I I do want to clarify real quick that... um, that that trans though generally still goes along with a gender binary meaning that it's either male or female mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. like this says that their gender identity and their sex assigned at birth don't align and that's not like quite that inclusive because for example someone who later on we'll talk more about this but who doesn't identify with either male or female probably would not use the label trans or transgender for themselves they mm-hmm. might but but probably wouldn't yeah, right. We'll get to that in a moment, mm-hmm. but um also intersex, which is those whose genitalia, chromosomes, hormones and or secondary sex characteristics don't align with the medical community's strict definition of a male and a female. So, the very archaic term of hermaphrodite mm-hmm. used to be thrown around all over the place, but that's kind of offensive now yeah um, yeah that's not one that people use anymore and not one that people should use instead intersex is the correct terminology right and this it's interesting because this one's about actual physical traits of the body and it has yes. nothing to do with the gender Pre- identity yeah, which is exactly. why it's good to distinguish between those yeah right right and an intersex person um they may, you know, I mean, we have a lot of really tragic examples in the past of someone who is born intersexed, but the doctor, whoever it is, that's kind of in charge of seeing, overseeing their health yeah. at that time will mm-hmm. arbitrarily sometimes choose which, mm-hmm. which sex they think this person should be and will take mm-hmm. actions uh, toward that. Um, right. You know, often when someone is very small, when they're a baby or a child and they, they're not able to consent or to talk about these things, um, someone who's intersex may choose to transition or may choose to embrace one particular gender identity or they may not as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is actually a good lead into uh, non-binary or NB or NBs, as 
um, is one of my favorites. Um, and so that refers to a person whose gender isn't exclusively a man or a woman. Um, this is usually used as an umbrella term for someone who may identify as gender neutral or agender, or sometimes people use the term bi-gender or gender fluid. Um, sometimes it's used synonymously with gender queer, or I think Jace, you've used the term like gender fuckery as well. Yeah, there um, was, that there were up as well. a few people that I lived with for a little while in New York who one of, one of them was a friend of mine from high school who they identified as a gender fucker. And so <laughs> that's, that's where I got that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then I, I threw this term in there because I noticed that when OkCupid, um, did their big update a few years ago where they opened up a lot more options for people to choose from for describing their gender identity, um, that they included Two-Spirit on the list. And Two-Spirit, I know I've gotten some questions about this. Some people are like not entirely sure on what it is or what the origin Mm -hmm. of it is. But uh, the term Two-Spirit is um, a term that uh, historical and current First Nations people you know, that they use that term to describe individuals whose spirits they felt were a blend of male and female. Um, and a number of Native Americans who are in the LGBT communities have reclaimed that term, um, both to honor their heritage and to provide, you know, again, alternative terms to use, um, you know, alternative than the terms that we normally use of like bisexual or transgender or things like that. Yeah, I do think it is worth clarifying that this is one of those things like talking about like your spirit animal that's actually something that if you are uh, you know of native american ancestry is something that you could be learning about and um you know embracing as part of your culture and keeping that culture alive but are actually um not good to use if that's not part of your cultural background mm, right, that is kind of right. um appro- appropriation yeah. Yeah. yeah i don't know if appropriative yeah, yeah, yeah. is a word is it an adjective for appropriative I mean, we can make it. We can make it one. I don't know if, if it is, not. but I feel listeners like it's out there, please right. let us know. Right. So but I think I think something that's that I really love about going over this list, and of course, this list is not comprehensive by any means. There's like so many terms, um, so many different expressions of identity, and and you know labels that people choose to attach to. Um, but just the fact that this really shows there's such a wide variety of identity and such a wide spectrum of gender. Um, And I think it gets really frustrating when people don't understand that because, you know, we have the discussion around quote unquote trans rights, but what, what person A thinks is covered under, you know, the identities of trans rights is different from what person B thinks, Mm. you know, and just the Mm. fact that it doesn't all necessarily look the same. Something that I think is also really valuable in having this kind of conversation is that because of, as I was saying before, the way our language works of needing to use male and female pronouns for people when we talk about them, that I'd say more than most other distinctions, or at least, yeah, I'd say more than most other distinctions between people, we've been taught that these ones are sort of the most well, for one, universal, which as we've just talked about here is not universal for everybody, that mm-hmm. there are just these two things and you're one or the other, but also the idea that everybody of one or the other, like that all women are more similar to all of each other than they are to any men and vice versa, mm. right? And it's it's funny because if you actually stop and think about it, even if you were to look at it just physically... Like, not even, like, take socialization out of it, just physical characteristics. It'd be like, you know, I would say that there are many women out there who are either larger or taller or stronger than me 
as a man, even though like maybe on average men tend to be larger than women. But it's like in seeing those averages and in studies that talk about averages, it's like we all just forget the fact that there are so many people who aren't that average. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, most people are not exactly average. Uh, and so I think it's also worth noting there that just even discussing it as if all men are very similar to each other or that all women are, you, you know, even that in itself, even just physically speaking, is not necessarily the case. Yeah, and that's the challenges with these stereotypes, too, is that it's like grouping large amounts of people into one thing mm-hmm. instead of looking at each person as an individual. And that- well, I think that's I think that's why it's so important. I think for me, I found it so important to be like specifically seeking out media and content that's written by queer writers or gender queer writers or trans writers, um, you know, or non-binary content creators is because like often people in these communities have been forced to really deconstruct what it means to be a human and what it means to interact with another human. Like, whereas many of us, and that's part of cisgender privilege, which we'll get into mm-hmm. later, many of us kind of, kind of skate by um, following kind of the similar social rules that we've been taught of like how to interact with a man that's older than you or how to interact with a woman mm-hmm. that's younger than you um, and what to expect from these people and what to expect from this person if you're going to have sex with them. Um, you know, whether we like those rules or not, that we kind of get to fall back on them. Whereas if you're in the process of actively questioning that and piecing that apart, like that also throws every other relationship in your life into some sort of question and kind of, uh, I guess, deconstructing process as well. And I would really encourage our audience as well to seek out those perspectives because it's not Mm -hmm. even just a new perspective on the way that you look at other people in relationships, but just seeing the world in general. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. 
That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Now we're going to open up the discussion um, to speaking about stereotypes, um, expectations, and sexism. Um, but a, and a very important thing to remember is that sexism, too, doesn't necessarily fall on a binary spectrum. So there are different things that we wanted to talk about that are non-binary, but also a big problem and a big deal. Um, the first one, something that is, in terms of getting rid of it and combating it, is near and dear to my heart, which is transphobia. Um, so the fear, dislike, or hatred of transgender people and or the idea of transgender in general. And this is a tough one, too, because I know a lot of feminists personally personally who are very transphobic and who talk about trans people in a very transphobic manner. And that, to me, is a big fucking problem, something that we need to change. And there were, at the Women's March, there were a lot of very transphobic signs that were placed up. Um, and that were marched around and also, you know, God, like feminism helps everyone and it should not be a freaking transphobic thing. Yeah, it's, it's a really disappointing development. Yes, it but is. I, I feel like there is, I'm always surprised at actually looking at how intense and how surprisingly, how there's just a surprisingly, like, you know, many, many voices that are like anti trans but also feminist at the same time um it's yeah, yeah like i don't even know what to say about it it's just like it's baffling to me like i hear what people's arguments are but i'm also just like but but no but no you're wrong <laughs> yeah it's gosh it's just such a tricky thing i mean it's it reminds me a little bit of this idea of like if I feel like every little scrap of everything that I have, I've had to fight for that. It's like, I'm going to be less generous if I treat things that way. And so it's like, no, you can't have any of this. I've worked too hard for it. This is all mine. It Mm. feels a little bit to me like that. And we've talked about this before with like, um, with the, the LGBT community, specifically with the gay community of shortly after certain victories toward gay marriage mm-hmm. and things like that, there will kind of be a backlash against bisexual people or against polyamorous people or even trans people who are allies most of the time. But it's like, I got a thing now I have to hold on to it. And so I have to distance myself from you. Right. Uh, and then it kind of calms down. And that's not to say that everyone's doing that, but I think somehow that's part of that knee jerk reaction of like, you know, stay away from my thing that I'm fighting to get for myself and for people who are just like me. Yeah. Um, that there it's, there's this temptation to be like, we're going to make a new in group because we're fighting so hard to get recognition. I don't know if that's what's at play here for people or if it's just this fear of like Elizabeth chef talks about the fear of the polyamorous possibility that the reason why she hypothesizes that some people get really angry and upset when they learn about polyamory is because there's something in them that goes, that makes sense. I wish I could have that. And that idea is too upsetting and too threatening for them. Interesting. So they're going to be extra angry about it. I, I honestly wonder if 
transgender or you know bisexuality or or homosexuality is that for a lot of people maybe um, I think there's some evidence to back up that it is yeah um, in terms of people's having those really visceral reactions to it it's because it there's something in them that resonates just enough with it that it scares them mm-hmm but at the same time, let me just let it be noted that uh, so far as of yet, like the fear of the polyamorous possibility has yet driven, has has yet to drive someone to murder a polyamorous person. And yet, that's true. Yeah. In extreme contrast, transphobia has definitely Absolutely. been yes. just one of many driving factors behind a lot of really, really tragic and unnecessary deaths. Um, mm-hmm. Not to be a downer. But no, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And important to talk about. Bringing yeah. that in there. <clears throat> well, and to go along with that, uh, the next term we have here is cisgender privilege or cis privilege for short. And this is just the set of advantages that individuals who are cisgender, as we said, that you identify as the gender that you were assigned at birth. Um, and it's advantages that you experience simply because of that, that you're most of the time not aware of. And one of those things is stuff like that, of not having that same level of fear of being killed just for being who you are. There are obviously many, many more in all sorts of parts of our lives, but that's just an example. And then going along with that is transmisogyny. So transmisogyny is sexist discrimination against trans women, uh, which we didn't describe in our definitions before, but trans woman means somebody who was identified as male at birth and now identifies as female. So this is uh, sex- sexist discrimination against trans women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a problem because of a lot of things, but I think a lot of it comes from sort of patriarchal problems that already exist in terms of contempt for women or femininity, or the idea that any man would do something feminine is such an affront that that needs to be stopped and, you know, shown what a bad thing that is. Yeah. Um, and as well as, of course, you know, the fear of nonconformity, like we were talking about with transphobia. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just a couple more that are on our list to cover today. Um, one of them being the term cissexism, which is an institutional response that assumes that everyone is cisgender. So as in everyone matches, you know, the biological sex that they were assigned at birth and therefore... Uh, There's a lack of recognition about the needs or the concerns or the lived experiences of people who are not cisgender. Um, It tends to award power. It's, you know, the tendency of awarding power or privilege to people who are cisgender and denying privilege or rights to non-cisgender people. Um, Mm -hmm. This is something we can see every single day. You know, anytime you've had to fill out a form and it's forced you to choose, are you male Male or female? female. (laughs) Right. Um, Whether that's... um, just going to a website or if that's at the DMV, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and it's so common. Like once you're aware of sexism being a thing, it's just seriously, it's absolutely everywhere. Certainly. I think it's something that we often struggle with on this show too, because we know that most of our listeners are cisgender And so we think it's important to speak about gendered experiences like we're planning to do in this episode, while at the same time, like being aware that those aren't the only options. And it is a challenging thing sometimes. It isn't just such a simple thing to say, ah, but just don't do that, right? Mm -hmm. That it it is something that we do try to stay actively aware of and find ways to include more of that, uh, including um, some future episodes that we want to do soon uh, with guests who can talk more about that experience than we can having not lived it ourselves. Yeah. 
Then the last term we're going to cover, which is going to kind of transition us into like the last half of our show here, um, is the term gender essentialism. Um, this term is actually relatively new to me, and it's the theory that there are just certain universal and innate features of gender that are at the root of behavior for men and women. And like the textbook example of this is the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. It's this Uh whole narrative that it's like, at the end of the day, men are men, women are women. There's just inalienable- Boys will be boys. Yeah, exactly. There's just, they're just different. There's no way to rectify that. There's no way, um, you know, there's no way to get around that. That's just the way it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I don't know. If we're going to wrap it back to logician jokes, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a logical fallacy, right? Like, because it is this yeah. fallacy of just like, well, that's just the way it is. It, like, it begs the question, right? Mm, right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, with that, like, we wanted to talk more specifically about the prevalence of gender essentialism, about, you know, the ways that that manifests in our own personal lives of like the expectations that the expectations and the pressures that we carry um, and uh, you know, the ways also that you as our audience can also, you know, take actions to actively kind of fight back against this and hopefully, you know, take steps from, you know, I guess bringing more people into the spectrum of woke. <laughs> God. The woke spectrum. Yeah. Jeez. Did, we, did we coin that term? The spectrum? The woke spectrum. Yeah. Gosh. Probably no. not. Yes. No. Yeah. 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 Okay, so Okay, so I'll be honest here that when we were writing this episode, there was definitely a part of me that was like like why are we talking about these particular stereotypes? Like everyone knows the old tired out, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of bullshit. Until actually quite recently in my life, I've encountered a surprising number of people who still buy into a lot of this stuff or who are not really actually aware of the ways that this affect us and of course i'm sitting here thinking i'm like god didn't we like cover this already 30 years ago but then uh i don't look know. at the current political yeah exactly so. like no it, it clearly is still a problem and that's why i think it is important to speak about it and to bring it to light again and be like oh yeah shit maybe right. i have done that before Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess I guess I wanted to get that out of the way to to say to our listeners, like I realize a lot of you are going to be like, yeah, duh, like I know. But the thing is, at the same time, it's like there's a lot of people who don't know these things, and mm-hmm. that's the more upsetting and uncomfortable part of this. Anyway, so we wanted to launch in first and talking about kind of the different experiences that people have regarding to gender and the way that it relates to the roles they take in their family. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go ahead and launch into this one, Em? Yeah, okay. So I was speaking with my friend, we'll call her Christine. Uh, She has three children and she's an actor and a singer as well. And she um, will go on tours from time to time. They're usually relatively short, but... She was at her uh, pediatrician with her three daughters and was telling the pediatrician about how she had just gotten back from a three-month tour uh, in Tennessee. And the pediatrician immediately was like, well, who was taking care of the kids? (laughs) And she looked at her and she's like, their father, who is just (laughs) as able to as I am. And if he goes on a trip, nobody ever asks him where... You know, it, or nobody ever asked me who was kids. taking care yeah. of the kids, and and the woman said like, "Oh my god, that I I didn't. You're right. That was incredibly sexist of me to say." 
And so, it's well, so it's cool that they, that they were able to yes. accept that, though, and take yes. that The criticism. pediatrician did realize, yeah. like, wow, okay, that was really sexist of me to say. <laughs> but but it, it is a thing, in speaking about family mm-hmm. roles, that women are still supposed to be these nurturers. They're supposed to have the emotional labor. They're supposed to be the people who do the, the child rearing or the mm-hmm. caretaking of the family in various ways. And that is not as prevalent or apparent in maybe the men's roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if you if you like really zoom out, I think it's really that label of caretaker is one that I think when you're raised and socialized to be a woman, like that is just like in your face all the time that like you are mm. supposed to be taking care of other people. And, yeah. and I think it's really sad because it's like t- t- taking care of other people is a good thing, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a nice thing to do. It's what helps the human race kind of keep on going. If we don't take care of each other, like we're a little bit fucked, but at the same time, like it's so disproportionately expected of, I think it's, it's like disproportionately expected that you're going to be a caretaker and not have any needs of your own. And, I think that is something that I see when I work with clients, especially like my clients who are women, like that manifests in just like not having any boundaries, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and the idea of not being able to say no when you're a woman, which is something that I, I know that I've felt at times. It's difficult for me to like say no to the people around me just simply because I'm like, well, but I should be able to do these things and take on the emotional labor or take on, you know, just anything. If my friend needs something like, yeah, I'll go do that or do whatever Hmm. and not question like, well, you know what? Maybe that's a little bit boundary stepping, overstepping here. And maybe I should be able to say no once in a while. Sure. It's so, it's so hard though, because like what comes to mind for me in this moment is I think about the fact that women often, bounce back from breakups, for instance, faster Mm -hmm. than men do because they've built a support network around themselves of people that not only they care for, but that also care for them. And so I think that's kind of like a little bit of the positive side of, of kind of being thrust so firmly into the caretaker role um, is that you are more likely to have the people there who can take care of you. Right. Right. That you've been taught from a young age that, you know, being there for people and nurturing and maintaining your social relationships is, you know, an important thing that you should be doing. Like you said, maybe to a fault, but there is a, somewhat of a positive side to that. And on the flip side of that, um, for men is that I found that it's very difficult for me to find close male friends that I can share things with that are more emotional or that are more, um, vulnerable, I guess, that that is something that I still tend to share more with my female friends. And mm. that's, I mean, even another thing is that I feel like I'm, you know, fortunate that I'm able to have female friends. Whereas if we're, again, looking very traditionally at gender roles... Um, Mike if, Pence, it, don't be in a right. room with another woman. Exactly. Or you may have sex with her. Right. This <laughs> idea that that you can't you can't be friends with someone of quote the opposite sex right that so you know even if we're not going to go there though still i've noticed there's this thing that i often find that i'm wanting in my life but that i don't have which is that type of more sort of emotional vulnerable sharing with 
other male friends. And that is a really mm. difficult thing to find. And it's funny because I say that I want it. And when I imagine it, I feel really uncomfortable that there is Interesting. just, I've, I've been so uh, socialized as a male to, to just have a really hard time getting comfortable with that idea. And that's not that I've never had it, but it's, it's sometimes hard to imagine at times when I don't, like I had this with a really good friend in college but I don't think I've had that type of close male friend, even though I've had close male friends, but not that type of like a very emotionally caring sort of friend since, since then. Yeah. I, I saw like a a post when I was researching Mm. this stuff Mm -hmm. of someone writing, like men should not have like close emotional friends. That's gay. They should just deal with it. Jeez, and I was what corner like, of the internet were you what on? The fuck? No, but that's I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, of but like people actually think that, and that is insane mm-hmm. to me. Well, but but I guess to to you know what's not insane about it, I mean let's maybe not even use that term. Sure. Uh, well but that just, is unfortunate. Highly yeah. and unfortunate. But the reality of it is while I'm like, yes, that sucks that someone would actually think that to the extreme of that statement. At the same time, what I was just describing is like, I get it. It's like, that's in my brain somehow, not about it being gay, but just the fact that that seems difficult or uncomfortable mm-hmm. or hard to even imagine having at times. Hmm. Um, that's really so, interesting. And it's obviously a spectrum. I mean, I think, you know, I do have men who I can share things with, but there's a certain sort of vulnerability that I might have having a conversation with Emily mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have with my male friends who I'm also close with. Would so. you say that as a man, things like financial security or success or just like security in general or your work are like priorities? Yeah. Or well, that you were taught that they should be? It's not just that they're priorities, but that they are what make you attractive. Yeah. That sort or, of, or like worthy at right, all. Right. Or worthy as a person at all. Yeah. Sort of the narrative we're given with that is that, you know, as a man... Because there's, which we'll get to in a second, but there's this underlying, uh, really toxic assumption that men are the ones who want sex and women don't really want it as much and they just go along with it sometimes. That part of that package also comes with this idea that as a man, assuming that you want to date women, none of them are going to be attracted to you because you're good looking. It's all about your success or your intelligence, or your money, or your maybe your sense of humor, right? Things like this. Mm. Um, and I do think that, you know, we've all seen it personally with people we've known who maybe have had money and then lost it, that kind of their whole sense of, uh, you know, men, you know, their whole sense of self-esteem also goes out with it. And, you know, unfortunately can... horrible dicks. <laughs> yes. Well, that Jeez. too... Jeez. Yeah, but well, yes, okay, no, I've, I've, I mean, not, I've struggled okay. with this a lot too. This idea of as someone who, for most of my life, has not made very much money, struggling with that idea of not feeling like I'm very attractive or like, wow, mm-hmm. that's very nice and charitable of any woman who does date me. Interesting. Yes, I mean, I know Emily made the comment about a guy being a dick, but but the thing is, like, actually, now that I think about it, like, and I think back over the course of my life and the relationships that I've had with men, like, I think about the times that where I've seen, like, a male partner, for instance, mm-hmm. be the most depressed or the saddest or the most upset, and it's almost always been attached to the loss of something material. Yeah, um, interesting. And I think that at the time, 
I would be like, what the hell is his problem? Like, get over it. You know, it's just a, it's just, <laughs> it's just a bike. I actually had someone who got really depressed because he lost his bike, got stolen. <laughs> but that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, or, or it's just money or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, having this perspective of looking at the way that men are so conditioned to wrap up their worth in that, mm-hmm. in money or in material success, um, it actually makes a lot more sense now. Not to say that like it's justified or that it's good. Definitely But not. I think it makes a lot more sense <laughs> to me now. And I wish I could go back to my 19-year-old self and tell me that. <laughs> right. All right. What's, what's our next one here? Next one? Okay. This is a doozy. Let's talk about external experience and desirability. Ooh. There's God. What, desirab- like We could do an entire episode just on desirability and all the different factors that go into who you find desirable based on like things we were just saying, like their financial success or the color mm-hmm. of their skin or the shape of their body or whatever. Um, I feel like this is a topic that I've been thinking of a lot lately because of spending the last couple of years not like no longer in the entertainment industry so much. Mm. Um, I mean, I've done like a little bit of, of gigs here and there, but I'm not, you know, for instance, I'm not as like heavily steeped in it as like Emily, you are now. Um, mm-hmm. right. And just Going trying to think of like stuff. how when you're in the entertainment industry, that's so in your face all the time, like what's expected of you just to like look like. And I think not just perfect. men, but also women and, and mm-hmm. yeah. people in general, like even if you don't fit conventional standards of beauty, um, you're still expected to still be kind of attractive. I think, you know, one time someone told me about how in Hollywood, like even if they're casting a quote unquote ugly person, they still want to find the most attractive, ugly person they can find. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this one goes, is often used in juxtaposition with the idea that men are valued for their success or their money or their material possessions. That on the other hand, this idea that women are valued because of their looks. Yeah, right. I mean, or or often what I hear is more specifically just because of their youth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I dated a male. <laughs> I dated a man. Sorry. Um, when I was nineteen, and I dated him on and off for a few years. He was probably uh, see maybe six years older than I was. Um, but he had some really fucked up like gender stereotypes. It just basically floating around in his brain. And he told me that, like, women were most desirable under 30, and that that was the time in which men should be looking for a wife, because after 30, like, they're just not attractive anymore, and therefore, like, their value goes way down. Mm-hmm. And men's value, like, continues to rise, and it doesn't matter, like, how old they are. But women, like, if they're past 30... Sorry. Well, so, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that it's like, I hear something like that and I'm like, unfortunately, that's kind of the way that our culture wants to operate, right? Mm -hmm. In the way that we treat women, the way we treat men. Unfortunately, like a lot of people, I think like a lot of people in the red pill movement will hold that up as like, that's just strict fact. Um, Like it is just a fact that, and I think with the red pill movement, like it's even lower than that. It's like 25, 25 is like the limit. Yeah. Yeah, that's God. that's the quote unquote the wall. We owe oh. wall. Yeah, well, we we are real post wall. Yeah. So this is something that's that the wall that like I, that's when a person hits the wall. That I, I, guess I, don't, that's the idea. I don't. I don't. Know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. That's not actually not one of the terms I'm very familiar with. Yeah. Well, um, 
I've recently been learning more about all this stuff. Oof. Ew. Anyway, we're not going to get into that right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, so kind of like we were talking about with um, having, you, you know, men that we've known who've lost their financial situation or something's changed there and it's led to sort of a crisis, right? Like maybe it's not always a depression or something, but some kind of a pretty serious crisis, even in the short term. And, uh, I've definitely experienced this with women that I've known specifically about their age. Um, and it's interesting too, because to me, it's almost never like it's kind of secondarily about looks, but at least when, you know, women that I've been close to have talked to me about it, it's almost always about age, like as this number, like, and it's been different numbers, but that they've attached some sort of value and they feel like their value is running out. And unfortunately, mm. you know, unlike something like money that can go up and down through your life, age only goes one direction. Um, and then you die. Right. And then you die. Um, but I, I have noticed, you know, not, it's not the same, but similar sort of crisis about, about this external thing as if that is what determines their worth. And it's, yeah. and it's tough because we do really get that enforced to us a lot. Something I want to bring up here uh, that I think is really underlies a lot of this is that women are so socialized to be observed and consumed mm. as opposed to, and you know, men are socialized to be the observers and the yeah. consumers. And I started thinking about this when a couple of months back, I, I read an article about, uh, this is going to sound weird. Um, I read an article about sex robots for ladies Um um, <laughs> um, and cool. more like a hypothetical, like wondering about the future of sex robots, what's realistic, what's not. Right. And, and I think it was mainly focusing on like, what about sex robots for women? What would those be like? What would they have to do? What would be appealing to a market? And, um, the author made this interesting point that like, because women are so socialized to be observed, mm -hmm. that's going to be something that you have to take into consideration. Like if someone can make a sex robot that is an observer, then mm. maybe that would be the thing that would be more successful in getting women to buy it. And I mean, it sounds really messed up when yeah. you think about it, but then also in certain arenas, like it makes total sense because it's, it reminds me of host clubs in Japan, but Oh yeah, totally. Of just having someone who's undevotedly going to pay attention and observe you that right. it does sound like that is already a product, at least in Japan, that's being sold to women somewhat successfully, right? With humans, mm -hmm. not with robots, but why not? Someday. Right. Japan would probably be the first. Definitely. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> God. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the male experience, the men experience? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, like we were saying, it's yeah. not really, um, it's not the same in terms of age or youth being tied to, you know, your self-worth. But I do think there are some things that come up. I think two big ones is about being... I'm not even going to say being tall, but just not being short. Yeah. Uh, that that's mm. definitely a big one that um, it's something you don't have any say in the matter. You don't get to choose that. Uh, but it does have a pretty big impact on how, how men feel about themselves. And this is something that's, you know, we've had the term Napoleon complex for a long time Yeah, because I do think this is a pretty um, universally understood thing, right? That this, again, it's just an arbitrary characteristic of someone or not that somehow socially we've decided that this one is a more valuable one. And I think a, a similar one to that is about penis size. Yeah. Right? Um, if, if the ads that 
are fed to me online, and I think most males that I know are any indication, penis size is the fucking most important thing in the world, uh, right? <laughs> like, there's so in many... In the world. You know, products okay, I'm, are I'm, like... I'm going to translate that. You mean the ads that are fed to you on porn sites, right? No, like, it, on... Oh. Um, also, a lot of, um, uh, like tech video game related sites as well really mm, that but, makes but sense. sites that are mostly targeted toward men which is you know technology stuff and porn right like both of those um i feel like there's another i mean definitely on porn sites i see and like penis enlargement right. enhancing and like right. torrent, torrent sites yeah right right and anything that yeah. tends to be a little more male dominated um yeah right tons of ads for things about making your penis larger. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting. I saw, Dedeker, you put this in the notes or did you do this, Emily? I put it in the notes. I put yeah. it in the notes. Can yeah. I talk about it? Yeah, yeah, talk about it. Yeah, I read this fascinating article about the ancient Greeks and like you'll notice if you look at ancient Greek statues mm-hmm. of yeah. male figures like Zeus or Hercules that usually they have pretty small penises like yeah. the statue of the David, you know, relatively small. Um, and uh, apparently, you know, at that time, having big junk was more associated with being kind of more slovenly and animalistic. Mm. Yeah, know, it was like, supposed to be like funny, like oh, yeah, or like or comic, like on dick. pottery, like satyrs were usually portrayed uh. as having like these huge erect penises or like masturbating all over the place. Like it was the <laughs> idea that you had no self control, right? Um, Which so was not an attractive just gigantic thing. and yes. crazy. Yeah. But if you had like a small flaccid penis, it's like you were in control. You were mm. a yeah. cool guy. Um, you no, that's had your funny. shit together. I, I had I knew that about the ancient Greeks being more into small penises, but I, I hadn't heard that, and it makes a lot of sense to me. But that it has to do with sort of composure and self control and stuff like that it makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, yeah um, I think that's that's an interesting one too because I think a lot of men also think that that is a universal thing that all men and all women must find bigger penises more attractive, and there's even I'll read about. Uh, studies trying to back that up with scientific evidence and things huh. like that. And it's again, like all we have to do is look to the ancient Greeks to see like, that isn't always the case in every culture at every time. Right. So I think that these, you know, the physical appearance one, I think we tend to talk more about women as it relates to this one, but there are some things, uh, you know, with men that again are, are out of our control in the same way that aging is um, that. Yeah. It can be easy to get sort of attach our self worth to, I guess. And I mean, before we move on from this section, I just wanted to make a note also about uh, you know the experience of trans people or people who are not gender conforming when it comes to these expectations for outward appearance or desirability. Um, uh, I'm not going to name names, but there was someone else uh, who was relatively influential in the polyamorous community who posted a meme not too long ago. Um, with good intentions that the meme was like, oh, I want my women to look like women and men to look like, you know, women should be women and men should be men. Um, That it was disguising itself as an anti-trans meme when the pictures on it were actually of like a really famous trans man who's Mm. really bulky and muscular and has this great six pack. And then this really famous trans woman who, you know, look, you know, passes really well, essentially looks really feminine and beautiful. And like the intention behind the meme, like I get, but a lot of people are really outraged because it's like, you're still imposing these really harsh Mm -hmm. expectations of appearance, even on someone who's trans when it's like someone may be trans, someone may like identify differently from the sex they were assigned at birth, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily want to strictly inherently conform 
to what that gender is supposed to look like. It may not even mean that they want to pass. I think that's kind of a assumption that a lot of yeah. people carry is that all trans people must truly they must want to pass. Not everybody does. Yeah, yeah. and that the goal of every trans person is to be able to afford surgery, and the only thing holding them back right. would be a financial concern, and that's also not true. Not true at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So okay, we're going to move on to let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, geez. again. <laughs> yeah. So it's back to sex. Jeez. Yeah. This the same gentleman that I spoke of earlier that I was in a relationship with for a number of years. I he got on me because he was the third person that I had ever slept with at the time. Mm. And he was like, God, you've, you've slept with three people. That's, that's a lot. You've slept with a lot of people. And I was like, well, how many fucking people have you slept with? (laughs) He's like, like, you're like my ninth. And I was like, well, and he's like, well, you know, that's a lot too. Like that's kind of promiscuous. And I was like, okay, but you think you're talking to me about my promiscuity at three people. people. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So again, it's this idea that like women have to be virginal Mm -hmm. and this like Madonna whore complex thing of like, if you are not virginal, then you are therefore a whore and you are therefore undesirable. Gosh, yeah. This, this is, is this is yeah. such a big one, and I Ugh. and I feel like this is the topic that carries the most pain points right now because of everything that we've been like that our entire culture has been talking about yes. right now. Um, really hard to dig into this one, I think, thoroughly. But I know, I know, and I'm sure a lot of other people have experienced this as well with the prevalence of the Me Too movement and all these conversations that are happening. I know for me, it's really forced me to even look at my own experience of sex. And yeah, what actually is good for me and what are the things that are not good for me that I've put up with um, <laughs> or tolerated and also question myself, well, why do I put up with that? Why do I tolerate it? It's I know for me personally, like a lot of things have gotten shaken up in regards to that. And I'm, I mean, I know with the two of you, the same thing has happened as mm-hmm. well. Something that we spoke about, Dedeker, you and I, is this idea that um, that there's a normalization to pain when women have sex and that that's okay and that also men should always experience pleasure when they have sex and that that's like a very normal thing and that pain is also a very normal thing for a woman um there is that kind of tr- or idea that like women's pain tolerance is so much higher than men's and you know we have to deal with pain on a monthly basis and all of this shit yeah yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it it reminds me. Okay, so this is just an anecdote, but like years ago, I bought a particular sex toy that was designed to be used, like when you're having sex, um, like goes in your vagina when you're having sex, mm-hmm. and in like kind of the FAQs on this sex toy, one of the FAQs was like is not going to hurt. Like, um, that seems like kind of a tight fit. And the, the response to the FAQs was just like, oh, the vagina is designed to stretch. Like, you know, it stretches during childbirth. Like, so you'll be okay. And at the time I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. And was just excited to use my sex toy. But now I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like talk about just like normalizing pain for women during sex, where it's just like, no, 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 your body's designed to deal with it. So like, you'll mm. be fine. Um, and I mean, I guess... It is, but so what? Like, you shouldn't 
be in pain during... It is, but that during... doesn't mean that I want to have something like stretching out my vagina. Like, there's a reason I don't yeah. want to go through childbirth. Like, just because I'm designed for childbirth doesn't mean I want to do it. Sorry, exactly. I'm ranting. <laughs> and I think that a lot of this, um, you know, while for men, it's a definitely a different experience. Like, there isn't an association with pain. There's generally not a lot of danger um, associated with sex. Like it's, it's not at all the same sorts of concerns, but in talking about just the sort of the ways that our experience of being raised culturally to be a certain gender um, can affect things like the decisions we make and the way that we justify our actions. Something that I found specifically for men is um, about getting an erection. Right Earlier we talked mm. about penis size, uh, but this is another one that I find comes up a lot in, um, you know, is either is either very much avoided in conversation or is talked about a lot at different times. But the idea of whether or not you are able to get it up and keep it up, yeah. right? And that the reason why I want to talk about this one is because I think it's, I've noticed actually a lot of guys and women actually will make decisions about whether or not they're going to use condoms when having sex specifically out of a fear of not like choosing not to use them specifically because they're worried it will be harder for them to get it up or harder for them to keep it up. And women also suggesting this at times of being like, Oh, well, if we didn't use a condom, like maybe that would be better. And that I want to bring this one up because that's a pretty big thing and it's 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 like on the one hand we can say you know like we always talk about we're like just fucking do it like it's not such a big deal just use them and you'll have a you know more peace of mind and you know all this stuff but there is a lot more to it that i think we often don't realize and is definitely not talked about in sex ed classes which is the only other time besides this podcast when people tell you to use condoms <laughs> no just kidding uh but um, use a condom Right, but it's it's um, this idea that, again, your sort of self-worth as a man is about being able, to, you know, part of that is tied up in being able to have sex and available to mm. have sex at any moment, right? The idea being that a man's goal is to be having sex all of the time, and the only thing keeping him from doing that is just that he can't get it all the time, right? That that's sort of the an extreme version of the stereotype. But part of that that I think we take for granted is the idea that he's always able to. Yeah. And that I think I've I've personally seen a lot of men make really irresponsible decisions because they feel like they have to be able to perform. So they're going to make more irresponsible decisions um, or even, you know, trying to get black market prescriptions for Viagra and things like that because they feel like they need to be doing that because that's where their value comes from. It is interesting to me that the times when I've been pressured into not using a condom are simply because, mm -hmm. you know, well, it doesn't feel as good to me. So that, that pleasure right. thing for a yeah. man is there again, mm -hmm. that it is kind of all about the pleasure as opposed to, like, the safety or, mm -hmm. you know, another reason to use a condom, mm -hmm. you know, anything in general. Or, yeah. like, you need to go on birth control because I don't want to use a condom because... It's not as pleasurable for yeah. me. So put hormones into your body and you can take the pain, you can take the side effects for my pleasure. Okay, finally, the last one that we're going to talk about here is the work experience. So I have a quick little story about my mother. She was sexually harassed in the workplace 
talked to her um, supervisors about it. And instead of them doing anything about it, they transferred her to a different department with a female um, head, like a, a female supervisor, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, kind of should... I mean, that was back in the 90s, but still, um, women have the experience of needing to like just take sexual harassment in stride, because mm-hmm. if they don't, they might get transferred to a different department. They may be skipped over for... A bunch of promotions, they may not make as much money, which we don't anyways, but... Well, and unfortunately, there's something that happens on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. If you have someone who, you know, you have bosses who are very aware of sexual harassment and then that's not acceptable, in an effort to avoid it, they will also limit the opportunities that female employees will have for FaceTime with the bosses and for those like go out for drinks after work. Um, I, this is something that I just um, a couple of years ago I was talking about with a friend of mine who uh, she's a woman and works in uh, post-production, works in editing. And she was talking about specifically that of like, I don't get invited to go out to drinks like other editors do with the producers. And so I don't get FaceTime with them and I don't get the promotions when men who have less experience than me do because they got that time to ingratiate themselves and be social and be things, you know, things like that. But it's this, like on the one hand, we have the story about your mom. And then on the other hand, we have something that I guess maybe it's a little better, but it's still really bad, right? It's still not a good situation here. Um, And I I think that that's something else to to keep in mind with this, Um, especially if you're someone in that position, um, you know, as a, as a boss, like realizing, wait a minute, I'm creating an unfair situation even by trying to avoid this other one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I came up with the whole like Mike fucking Pence situation. Yeah. Which we mentioned earlier. Which I just, yeah, we don't need to, we don't need to dig that zombie up from the grave, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like that whole thing of like in going to the opposite extreme of trying Mm -hmm. to prevent any kind of sexual harassment, it's still having really negative effects on someone's career, essentially. Absolutely. Well, it's this whole idea that, again, if you're operating in this, um, you know, cis-sexism way of thinking where I feel like there tends to be two assumptions. One, that everyone is either male or female, and they were always that from birth. And then two, that they're all straight. Like, these two assumptions are what's behind things like Mike Pence's decision, you know, to not ever be in a room alone with a woman or to go out to dinner with them. And like I was saying about bosses, not doing that with their female employees out of fear of that. And it all comes down to this idea that someone who is the opposite gender from you isn't a person. They are just that gender. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that, um, you know, we see this sometimes the other way around, um, especially with people who are more like religiously monogamous, you know, women being like, you are a man, so I can't, you know, trust you or I can't be friends with you or whatever it is because you're a man. And that's what I see before I see you as a person. Um, I do think more often we see this the other way around, though, like we've been talking about, especially at the workplace, where even people with good intentions can end up creating a situation like that. So what can we do about all this? Good question. Jeez. God. I kind of want to just like bury my head in the sand and give up. Sometimes. I know. I'm like, <laughs> it, it's so ingrained in our society. It can be really, really difficult mm-hmm. to figure out how the hell to change all of this. Um, but I think that it does really need to start with our young people 
and Mm -hmm. start teaching if you are going to have kids or if you do have kids the three of us are like not so into that but if you I have I have access to children. That's true. Very much. That's true. And I do too. And I, and I know <laughs> that some... sounds really weird. Access to children that are related to me. Sorry, I'll clarify. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. And, and I'm really <laughs> pleased that the children that I know that are related to me are already um, ingrained. Like all of these things that we're about to talk about are ingrained within them. And that I think is fantastic. So why don't you start off with um, something that you can do for a child uh, to yeah, definitely. Get and rid again, of de- gender norms. again, just to drive it home, you don't have to be a parent. Like this mm-hmm. is still something that you can model and that you can do for other children that are in your life. Or I'm super in- stoked about this with kids coming up in my life. Like when my brother finally has kids oh, and yeah. some of my friends. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I love. I love like raising kids. I loved having siblings who are much younger than me and being involved in like helping the shape them rearing. into people who I think are pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I I love that. Always the aim of child rearing is trying to raise cool people as best we <laughs> yeah, can. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, to dive into just some practical things that you can do, um, you can ensure that children receive equal praise for the same behavior. So mm-hmm. as in a boy and a girl, you give them the same praise if they're neat or if they're good in sports or if they're helping you around the house, um, you know, just kind of keeping that equal and not, you know, not reserving praise for housekeeping for little girls or praise for being physically active or strong for for boys totally yeah i think that uh that's also something that i think extends to adults too it's something i've tried to become more aware of especially in the workplace now that i'm in a little bit more of a you know supervisory sort of position of Mm -hmm. like even just like hey you look great today of not being like that's something i'll only say to female coworkers or you know Right, like we tend to do that with our children. It's like, oh, look, you're so pretty to the girls, and oh, wow, you're so strong or you're so smart to our boys. And instead, being like, why don't we even those out a little bit and be more even with the types of compliments that we give um, or don't give? Uh, and then another one is encouraging our children to be friends across genders. Yeah, and I think part of this comes from you not being the one who reacts by being like, oh, is it a girl? Or is like making that a thing, right? Yeah. Like it's just, oh, tell me about who are they rather than instantly showing them, hey, we're going to group them into this one category that's different from you. Um, something else is to use anatomically correct terms when referring to body parts. You can say vagina and you can say penis and you can say breasts when those things mm-hmm. come up and that that's okay to do not to like make them into little baby terms or whatever. Um, but instead like actually anatomically use the correct terms with your children. Um, another thing that you can do is to point out to children and to discuss gendered representations in the media. Um, you know, when I sit down and like I watch TV shows or movies with my niece and nephew, I feel like I have noticed in their generation that the media that they consume seems to be getting a lot better at representing different people in different genders in different roles yeah. rather than like the more traditional roles that we see. However, um, Disney definitely really encourages all mm. the millennial parents to keep buying Di- the same old Disney movies for their kids. I know a lot of us millennials have a lot of like nostalgic attachment to Disney movies and want to share them like with our kids or, you know, with kids that we're helping to raise. Um, that's still an excellent example to talk about those things um, yeah. because some of them, they're literally values from the forties. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
being shown to kids. So even though media, I think overall is starting to get a little bit better, kids are still exposed to a lot of stuff that's still a little bit outdated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another one is avoiding gender specific language. Um, We're talking about, you know, saying that's a man's job or that's not ladylike or be a gentleman, right? There's lots of ways that we can sort of be telling them that certain behaviors are also related to a gender. Yeah. And also encourage gender neutral toys and colors. Or even if your kid like wants to play with something that usually would be associated with the opposite gender, mm-hmm. like that's okay too. That's not a problem. If your boy likes pink, your girl loves playing with trucks, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Something that that I remember hearing a while ago that I actually really liked was about um, if you have a kid who, like you have a boy who wants to play with dolls or you have a girl who wants to like play firefighter or something that rather than telling them, no, boys don't do that or girls don't do that or no, you shouldn't do that, um, is instead to actually have a conversation with them about just like, you can do whatever you want and I think that's great and I'm going to love you and encourage you. But you should also know that some people might think that this is weird for a boy to do or a girl to do, specifically so that you are like setting themselves up so you don't tell them one thing and then they go to school and get a totally different thing and are like, oh my gosh, my parents were wrong. I should trust my friends. This is the case. But instead, actually having a conversation to say, hey, just so you know, some people might be weird about this, but you don't have to you know, worry about that if you don't want. But kind of giving them all the information instead of trying to just like sugarcoat it or, or pretend that that's not a thing. Because unfortunately, as good a job as you might do raising your kids to not fall into gender stereotypes, they still will live in a world that is going to have those. And so the better equipped they are to handle that, the better. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, if we ain't kid, we don't got kids. Now what we can we do? We don't ever see kids. What else can we do? <laughs> you never you don't even know what kids are. What's a kid? <laughs> what is a kid? Yeah, so if you don't even know what a kid is, some things that you can do just as an adult to help bust some of these gender stereotypes. Um this is a real important one, but if a colleague of yours who is a woman is interrupted by a colleague of yours who is a man. Doesn't even have to be a colleague. Could be a friend too. Um, mm-hmm. Point out that she wasn't finished speaking. Um, super simple. Do- you don't even have to be confrontational about it. You could even just be like, oh, hang on. Sorry. I really wanted to know what she had to say. Like, can you please continue? This was something that uh, when this was first pointed out to me about some of the studies done about showing how much more often women are interrupted in the workplace than men at meetings and things like that, um, becoming really aware of it, I found that that for myself, sometimes I will interrupt somebody, you know, male or female when I'm talking, but I have tried to become much more aware of that. And I'm not perfect about it. I still mess it up sometimes, but I have tried to still be better about starting to do it realizing it and then going, I'm so sorry I interrupted you. Please continue. Like it's, it's one of these things. It's not just like you're either perfect or you're not, but as long as you're willing to admit like, Ooh, you know what? I'm sorry. That was rude of me. Please continue. Um, you know, at least, at least acknowledge that and do something about it. And that might also, uh, you know, as a man might be a good role model for other men to see, Oh, Oh, I didn't even notice that he had interrupted her. But since he called him his self out on it, him, 
himself, his self. I it's too late. I can't do grammar anymore. Um, you know, since he called it out himself, I realized, oh, hey, that's a thing I should be aware of. So as we said, uh, for the children's part of this section, uh, also point out negative gender stereotypes when they come up in media, television, and film. I do this with my mother sometimes, mm. and it is surprising to her. And she's like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. So again, you know, not everybody is cognizant of it, but doing that and pointing it out, I think, is very important. Yeah, I just had a long conversation about the name of the wind. Um which was recommended to me by several people and which I finally read and was really horrified because it has some really awful stereotypes of women um, to the point where it's like when I first read it, I was like, oh, what a nice book from the 60s. And then I was like, what? It came out in 2014. What the fuck? Um, Yeah. yeah. It's like a fantasy Really though, Really though, if you're listening and like you really like Name of the Wind, like just send me an email and explain why. It's just... It's got so many problems. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's a com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another one is also just um, speaking up. If someone is making sexist jokes or comments, whether it's online or in person, I think it's especially valuable in person, actually, is to challenge them on it. And Um, And to not engage in it yourself, right? I think a lot of times there's a temptation to not rock the boat. And so we might laugh along with a joke that isn't appropriate or that we don't 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 think is okay is to, and again, to go back to my thing of not understanding we're not perfect all the time, even if you find yourself doing that just as a knee jerk reaction of kind of laughing along with it, even if it's right after that to go actually like, can we not, or, you know, that's, that kind of sucks. Like, or I've also found if you want to be like in times when you don't want to be as confrontational, um, when I've been around guys making sexist jokes, sometimes I'll just kind of be like, really? Like I thought better of you than that to just kind of be like, Ooh, this is no, I'm right. Rather than try to get on a soapbox about them and preach to them, which I think will just make them resist more to just kind of be like, really, you're going to take that like easy shitty joke that we've all heard before. Like I thought you were better than that. Yeah. I was in my workplace recently and some guy was talking about two of his other coworkers and being like, yeah, God, they're, You know, they're so sweet together. They're so gay, like whatever. And Mm -hmm. it's not exactly a sexist comment, but it's a shitty comment. And I was like, listen, man, like, I'm bisexual, so go fuck yourself. (laughs) Did you? You didn't say those words. No, I didn't. I was like, I was like, dude, I'm bisexual. Like, don't talk like that around me. Okay, see, you didn't say. You didn't say go fuck yourself, though. No, I didn't. That's what I was saying. I wanted to say go fuck yourself. But I did say, I'm bisexual, like, please don't, like, don't talk like that. And he was like, what, what, okay, what? I'm not, like, making a thing. (laughs) Did you do that head motion? Yes. Yeah. Gosh. For those of you who are watching the video on YouTube, that was a great moment. I definitely recommend making a GIF out of that and send that to me. We're all in rare form tonight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is turning to the longest episode ever, but it Mm -hmm. is important. Uh, So let's keep on going. Um... Almost to the end here. Another thing that you can do is just set an example for your friends and family of being a person who is a safe space for other people, regardless of their gender identity. I Mm -hmm. think this one basically translates to don't be a dick. Listen to this episode. (laughs) Educate yourself and be a safe space 
for other people, regardless of how it is that they, you know, express themselves. Yeah, I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think also, um, you know, as as a man, I found this is something that even if it's not making a sexist joke against someone else, but someone teasing, like other male friends teasing you about either being feminine or something like that, that is a, a common way that guys will joke with each other, is to just, to rather than trying to make it a sarcastic, like, oh, yeah, totally, or fighting back against it and being like, no way, don't call me that, like, I'm so manly, to just be like, huh, like, yeah. And I find that in groups of men, it just, like, takes the wind out of their sails. And when they realize, like, those sorts of jokes don't get the reaction they're used to them having, huh. I've actually found whole, like, groups of guys that I know um, or close friends that I've had for a while will slowly gravitate away from those or even often to the point of me being the one that they would come to about something that they don't feel like they can talk to someone else about and, like, actually being vulnerable um, just by kind of owning that and not feeling this need to fight against being called feminine, which I think is also such a hard thing. Cause that's part of this problem of thinking that feminine equals bad. If you're a man, yeah. if you're a man, especially, but even in general, we're kind of, that's the way it's treated. It's not, it's good. It's good. Which brings us lastly here is to compliment people on things that they may not normally be complimented on. For example, telling a man that you admire his sensitivity mm -hmm. or complimenting a female friend of yours on her intelligence or her strength. Yeah. God forbid. <laughs> yeah, right? Do it. What a novel concept. Yes. Maybe also don't assume that a trans person wants to be complimented on passing. Yeah. That's yeah. That's thing a great to one too. Mind. Yeah. 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 I've, some people I've, some people want to hear that, but a lot of people also don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've also found something that is helpful is just realizing that you can be more specific with compliments. Mm. So again, kind of like I was talking about before of rather than just being like, oh, you look good today or like, oh, you look nice today or something like that, which people will do at work just to be friendly. Like we do fancy Fridays at work. So we all dress up on Fridays. Oh, you fancy. So instead of being what I've noticed though, and actually a lot of my coworkers do this, which I really appreciate is rather than just being like, you look great today or you look nice today. They'll be more specific. Like, I oh really, my gosh, like I really like that tie or I really like, like the swoop in your hair today. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe that's. Maybe. I haven't heard that one before. But Or being more specific of like, wow, I really like the texture of that dress that you're wearing. That's a really cool material. Of like, I mean, I also work with a lot of very detail-oriented people, so maybe they just see the world that way. Yeah. Um, but I think the same can be true with other sorts of compliments, rather than just being like, you know, oh, you're you nice. Sexy. Or it's like, wow, like I really appreciate how compassionate you are when you listen to other people talking, or, right? Something like that. Well, we have covered a lot of ground today. If you've listened all this way, thank you for coming along on this journey with us. I, even though we've covered so much today, again, it's still just barely scratching the surface of all of these problems and all of these things to think about. Um, mm -hmm. And we would love to hear from you also. Of course, you know, the three of us, Fulios, our experience only covers so much. Um, mm -hmm. So we would love to hear from you. If you would like to have a question or a comment played on the show, then you can call us at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0. Five. <laughs> you can leave us a voicemail there. You can also leave us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can email us at info at or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. 
To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Jace Lindgren, and me, Dedeker Winston. The full episode transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.